Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Welcome to episode 10, ooh yeah, of incarceration. Dig it! Step into a slim gym, ooh yeah! Hello everybody, it's Christopher Chapman. I am back. This is episode 10 of Incarceration, part of the Going Postal cast. Yay! So it has been a super insanely busy week for me. I normally record the episodes on Thursday. Uh, It is now, it is actually Monday morning. It is 12.09 a.m. as I'm recording this, and uh, wow, am I behind. It has just been insanely busy. I was supposed to start recording on Thursday, but found out I had to travel to Green Bay on Friday, so I had to get to bed early, so that didn't work out. Then on Friday, got back kind of late, didn't get to record that day, and Saturday, just decided to take a night off, only get the writing done, and wait till today. So here I am, now 12.10, trying to get the episode put together. So I hope all of you are doing awesome. hope all of you are doing great. I am tired as all hell, but I am getting by. So let's just get into a few updates and let's get right into the story. I'm not going to waste all of your time with a bunch of nonsense. I'm just going to get through a few updates and then get right into the story so I can get this out on time. So the big update is... Well, NaNoWriMo is over with, and I succeeded. I'm a wiener. I finished with 51,000 some odd words, which is not all that great. 51,000 in a month, which I write every day, is actually piss poor. But, well, I had a busy month, and I got 51,000 words done towards a new story, so... I'm hoping to still have that the new fantasy novel done sometime in December and then move on to Death Has Come 3 sometime in January. So that's the plan. And then I get to take about four or five months to work specifically on editing Daddy's Little Girl and The School, which if you go to goingpostalpublishing.com, go to the future books or future works page, you will see that's the order that the books will be released in. Daddy's Little Girl and then The School. So I will be working on those pretty much nonstop coming up. Another update, The Candidate. I told you last time it is available in the iTunes bookstore. Well, or the iBookstore, I should say. Well, it's now available on the Nook as well. So it is out in all the available places. So if you want a quick short story, just 99 cents. You can get it on all of the EPUB and Nook and iTunes and Kindles, e-readers, all that good jazz. The audiobook is finished and has been emailed to all those who had the pre-orders. If you would like to 
pick up a copy of Incarceration, the audiobook. All you have to do is click on the button, and don't worry if it says pre-order still. I'm going to get around to changing that in the next day or two, so that way it just says the normal thing. It's $4.95. It's good price for all this audio, all this audio goodness. If you want to find out what happens at the end, before you get to, what, probably a month, two, three months from now when this podcast portion of incarceration ends, well, $4.95 is all it takes. Or, you know, $3.99, you can just have the book and read it. So, whatever your little heart desires, I'm here to please you. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. We're going to get right into the story, no question. Uh, it is 12.14 now, so I want to get to the story. Two more chapters, about 10 to 11 minutes each chapter, so we're going to have about a 25 to 30 minute episode, which is about right. So here we go. It is another wonderful episode of Incarceration. Chapter 18. What in the hell did you think you were doing? Randy Thompson asked Brad Collenbach upon leaving Jason Rangel's cell. They were standing out in the open, where everybody could see and hear what they were doing. You could have blown the whole case. Just trying to help solve the case, boss, Collenbach said. Needed something to do while you were still out. If you needed something to do, you're still more than a week behind on your paperwork, Randy pointed out. From this moment on, you are to stay away from Jason Rangel. I'm not going to have you destroying this case. We have our suspect in custody, and we're going to wait for his public defender before we question him any further. We have rules that we need to follow. If we do not follow these rules, he walks. If he walks, we're fucked. Do you understand? Yes, Collenbach said with undeniable contempt in his voice. His eyes went to the ground, and his shoulders slumped. The energy he'd had moments earlier was gone. I'm sorry, sir. I just wanted to solve this case so bad. There's another one out there somewhere. Somebody that's helping him with these murders. I need a name. I, uh, needed to solve this case. You needed your name on the report as the man who broke this case wide open, Randy said, feeling as if he had the man pegged. He knew just how ambitious Brad Cullenback was. Randy was the man that hired him. Since then, Brad had routinely demonstrated that he is one of his best officers, exceeding expectations in all areas. Randy knew just how bad Brad wanted to move up the ladder. He just never knew what lengths he was willing to go to to do it. I understand where your motives lie, but you have protocol that you need to follow. We have to play this other suspect angle the proper way. If we don't, he runs and Jason keeps his mouth shut. If that happens, our other perp gets to kill again. Maybe in another town or state. The words seemed to be getting into Brad's mind. He still wouldn't make eye contact, but he nodded along with everything that Randy said. Randy couldn't help but wonder just how much was actually sinking in. Brad was a smart guy, but even the smartest of men can do stupid things when their ambition takes control. Anything you want to say? Randy asked. No, Cullenbach said in a voice that had lost its energy. I understand what you're saying, and I'll be more careful. Good, Randy said. Now why don't you go home and get some sleep? 
I'm assuming that you have a detailed report of everything that happened while I was gone, sitting on my desk. Callenback looked up with eyes that said, Oh shit, I forgot. That's a different problem for a different day. I'll make a few calls and get filled in on what I can. Go home. I'll need you back here later today. Thank you, Callenback said, heading for the exit. Randy watched him leave, knowing that he'd been hard on a good cop. He hated having to do that, but knew it was going to be the best thing for him in the end. He walked into his office, closing the door behind him. He sat down at his desk and looked at the small stack of reports that covered his desk, all from other officers that did the reports when they were supposed to. He looked them over briefly, not really seeing anything that stood out. It didn't help that his mind was still on what Colin Beck had done. He supposed that it wasn't so much what he'd done, but more that Randy had done similar things in the last two days. It had been Randy that initially tried to hide the accomplice. He hadn't wanted anything that could jeopardize his case, including brushing away those prints in the sand. Had he been wrong doing that? Jason hadn't concealed that there had been somebody else involved. The problem was that Jason was placing all of the blame on this unseen man, going far enough to say that he'd stabbed and shoved the man down the stairs. That meant that the scissors would hold the key to this entire case. They'd been shipped to the crime lab in Green Bay, where it would go through state-of-the-art DNA testing to see whose blood was on the scissors. Randy had provided the lab with DNA samples of all three family members, as well as the three members of the Norman family. They were going to find out if he'd used that weapon to kill all five victims. If the DNA results came back with mystery DNA on the scissors, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to this case. That would mean that Jason had been telling the truth and that there was somebody else involved who may have committed the murders. As much as he wanted to make sure he'd gotten the right man, he wanted to make sure that this town was safe. He had a suspect in custody. Even if there was somebody else involved, or somebody else who'd committed the murders, he hoped that this arrest would scare him away for good. As long as Niagara was safe, he was fine with whatever he had to do to accomplish that. Brad Collenbeck may be a very ambitious young man, but he had nothing on Randy Thompson. Randy picked up his telephone and dialed the number for the IMPD. He needed to see what was going on in Iron Mountain. Somehow, they dropped the ball and let the accomplice steal the bodies. How could they have been so inept at their jobs? He knew he should have sent his own men. No, that would have been a bad idea. If he would have done that, there was a good chance that it would have been them that was missing, instead of two IMPD officers. He knew all of his men and their families personally. He, in good conscience, couldn't put any of them in harm's way. He'd done the right thing, even if it had turned out negatively. The phone rang twice before it was picked up. Iron Mountain Police Department, a woman said through the phone. This is Randy Thompson. I need to speak with Lieutenant Brian Leonard, Randy said to the woman. Just one moment, she said. There was a click as he was placed on hold. Ten seconds passed before another click was followed by. Lieutenant Leonard, how may I help you? Brian, this is Randy Thompson. Oh, hi, Randy, he replied. I suppose you've heard about our little problem. Looks like you screwed up on this one. Leonard's tone irritated Randy. He had called to see what was going on. He hadn't called to be ridiculed by a lieutenant in the IMPD. Where was the professionalism in that? Randy, you still there? Yeah, Randy said. 
Sorry, I had something on my mind. Kind of froze there. I imagine that you have a lot of things on your mind thanks to this case. I know I do. I have a major investigation going on in the disappearance of two of my officers. I'm missing one of my own, Randy said. No shit, Leonard asked. When did that happen? Last night. One of my officers disappeared from the scene of the Wrangell murders. From what I've been told, one second he's there, and the next he's gone. Nobody saw him leave, and blood was found. They think it's his. Jesus Christ, Randy, Leonard said, sounding surprised. What in the hell are we dealing with here? Do you really think it was the boy? There has to be somebody else involved for three officers to be missing since the Wrangell murders. Jason Wrangell fed me a pretty tall tale, Randy admitted. We're running a set of tests to confirm his story. I doubt that there's any way that we can find anything to confirm what he said. Anything you want to share? Can't. At least not right now. It's part of an internal investigation that I can't let you in on just yet. I don't want anything compromised. That's about the biggest pile of bullshit I've ever heard, Leonard said with a hint of anger in his voice. Randy, we've known each other for what? Nearly a decade? We've discussed literally hundreds of cases. I know when you're trying to tell me to leave it the fuck alone. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's not what I'm doing, Randy said, trying to prevent the situation from getting any worse. That wouldn't help because Leonard was absolutely right. There was no reason for him to be keeping things from Leonard, other than the fact that he was trying to keep his accomplice as quiet as possible. I think the kid is responsible. I don't know what to think of his screwed-up story. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, Leonard said, backing down. Man, I've never heard you like this before. Randy realized that he'd never been like this before. The frustration and confusion he now faced was new to him. These were the first murders in his town since he'd taken over. He'd helped out with murders in other towns since there was always a possibility that the killer could be hiding in Niagara. But this was the first time he dealt with the dead bodies on his turf. None of the other murders had been like this. At least, none of the ones he could think of. I'm sorry, Randy said, coming out of his thoughts. The only reason I called was to find out if you have any leads in the disappearances. There was a long moment of silence before Leonard replied, If I knew that, we would likely be having a completely different conversation. I can't make heads or tails of this case, just like you. I swear to God that I'll give you a call if I find anything. This time is almost exactly the same as last time, with the only change being all the blood and the two missing officers. Whoever took the bodies is the same one that took the first set of bodies. He's damn good at what he does. Are you checking for prints? Randy asked. Already done, Leonard replied. We got prints from both bodies before closing them in. The prints we got off the new door belonged to Mary Wrangell. The door wasn't even smashed because my officers had left the bloody thing unlocked. The thief used the body to touch the door, same pattern as before. Thanks, Brian, Randy said and abruptly hung up the telephone. He didn't want to prolong the conversation any longer than he had to. Chief of Police Randy Thompson put his head down on his crossed arms and started to cry. It was the first time in many years that he could remember crying. Maybe I should have gotten a little more sleep, he thought. He opened his desk drawer and pulled out his miracle drug, Benzedrine. God, he needed his bennies. He was so tired. 
A couple of pills would help him think straight until he could get enough time to go home and get some real sleep. He opened the container and popped two pills in his mouth. He dry-swallowed the pills and put the container back into his desk. He stared ahead, waiting for the pills to take effect and for the dark clouds surrounding his mind to go away. They never went away. Chapter 19 Jason Rangel's last day in Niagara was an emotional one. He was already emotional after what had happened to his parents. It was hard not to be. They were murdered and he'd been in the same room with them when it happened. On top of that, he was also emotional because he was trying to come to grips with his situation. He'd been arrested and formally charged with five murders. How can they think it was me? He thought to himself on more than one occasion. I would never do that to anyone. Not the Normans, and certainly not Mom and Dad. The cops didn't believe him. He was certain of that. He had told them everything that had happened on multiple occasions, never changing his story, and yet they didn't believe him. He didn't know much about police work, but he knew that liars usually change their stories, especially when presented with stressful situations. He was under an immense amount of stress, and Thompson hadn't made it any easier. Yet he stuck with his story for one reason. It was the truth. No matter how ridiculous it all sounded, even in his own mind, he kept with the story. But could he blame Thompson for not believing his story? Probably not. If somebody had told him, anybody, that a man, that was really more of a monster than a man, had killed his parents, he wouldn't likely have believed them either, no matter how honest of a person he or she was. There was no logical reason for anybody to believe in monsters. Hell, he hadn't believed in such things until his parents had been brutally murdered, the killer had been stabbed and pushed down the stairs, had survived, and nearly sliced through a window using nothing more than his fingernails. Now he believed, even when nobody else did. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't like his position. He was being held against his will. The frustration of helplessness was bringing back his old friend named Anger. He wanted to yell out, hit things and destroy whatever was in his way until somebody listened to him. He knew that wasn't the way to go about things, but found it to be a very tempting idea. He couldn't allow himself to lose control. He had to get a hold of his temper at all costs. From this point until the trial, if there were a trial, he would need to be on his best behavior. Everything he did from this point on was going to be studied under a microscope, literally, as they built a case against him. He knew that getting out of this was going to be a tall enough task without making matters worse for himself. Control of his emotions was the key. Before leaving Niagara, Jason met his court-appointed lawyer for the first time. He was less than impressed. Attorney Ben Skye came to see him shortly after 10 that morning. He looked the part, dressed in a suit and tie, but emotionally was as far away from true representation as a bull in the ocean. Let's get this thing over with. Ben said, sitting down across from Jason. I'm your court-appointed attorney. They shook hands. I'm Ben Skies. Jason told Ben everything that happened the night before. He told him everything that he told Randy Thompson and everything that had happened since his arrival in jail. Ben didn't look at him as he spoke. His eyes gazed off towards the far wall. His attention seemed to be on anything but Jason. Would you look at me? Jason said, demanding Ben's attention. His voice came out as nothing more than a croak, but he was sure Ben heard him. Ben glanced his way, and then returned to studying the walls again. Why don't you look at me? Ben didn't say anything for a long time. He remained quiet, 
continuing to act as if he hadn't heard anything. Finally, after he seemed to study every crack in the brick wall, he turned and asked, I'm sorry, but were you talking to me? Jason could feel his anger starting to rise up in him once more. It was gaining strength, ready to take over at a moment's notice. Jason bit down on his lip, refraining from allowing his temper to get the best of him. He tasted the coppery flavor of his own blood as his teeth sliced through the skin in his lip. Hey, you're bleeding, Ben pointed out. No, really, was what he wanted to say, but he stayed focused on containing his anger and the taste of blood. There was so much that he wanted to do to this man at that moment, but knew that he couldn't. He needed to remain on his best behavior. I want to know why you're not paying me any attention, Jason said, struggling to get his words out. His throat burned with every word. I've watched you study the cracks in these walls. I thought you were supposed to be paying attention to me, Ben laughed. It wasn't a small chuckle, as if he just remembered something funny that somebody had told him. This was an all-out laugh, as if he were watching a George Carlin stand-up routine. What's so goddamn funny? Jason asked. You don't get it, do you? Ben asked, looking serious for the first time since he'd entered the room. This is a slam-dunk case. They have you buried alive and there's no help of digging you out. You'll be lucky to have the jury out for more than 20 minutes on this one. And that's if I give you the best performance of my career. I'm sorry, but that's just not going to happen when I'm seeing you as a court-appointed attorney. I reserve those performances for paying customers. You can leave, Jason said, forcing the words out. I'll be looking for a different lawyer. Suit yourself, Ben said, pompously standing up. Let me give you a little bit of advice. If I were you, I'd plead guilty and save the taxpayers some money. That's the best thing you can do right now. They have you dead to rights. You're better off just pleading guilty and getting it over with. Show some dignity. Nobody will believe that story. You'll never get a jury to believe that a monster killed your parents, then tried to kill you. Out, Jason croaked. He tried to stand, but his feet were cuffed to a bar in the floor. He pointed his arms, showing the direction he wanted the man to go. Suit yourself, Ben said, getting up from the seat. You go right ahead and get somebody else. Nobody will give you a serious effort. You're screwed. As I said, you should just accept it and plead guilty. I'm innocent, Jason shouted. All of the hoarseness disappeared from his voice. The door to the conference room opened and two officers entered. They walked straight towards him, one of them pulling their gun on him. I'm innocent, you piece of shit. The monster killed them. He would have killed me. He didn't finish his sentence. The butt of the officer's gun came down, catching Jason on the cheek. He fell to the ground, twisting his legs in the cuffs. The back of his head slammed against the floor. His vision went hazy. He tried to pick his head back up, but it was no use. The next hour was a haze. It took that long for his vision to return to normal. Despite that, he still didn't feel quite right. He thought that he might have had a concussion or some other head injury. As he lied on his mattress, trying to get his bearings, he had the time to think about everything that was happening. It could have been the head injury toying with his emotions, or maybe not, but he found himself to be overwhelmed with sadness. His parents were gone. There was little he could do about it. That didn't change what he felt. He hated himself. He hated himself for what had happened between his parents and him before their deaths. That fight, the real last conversation he'd had with them, played over and over again in his mind. 
the fight had been over what he'd done to Nathan Paulson, an act he didn't regret, but it hadn't stopped there. He fought Nathan Paulson, putting him in the hospital because of what he'd done to Allison Rouse. Nathan hit her. He had it coming, but they hadn't understood that. They gave their opinion on the subject, and he got angry over it. He let his anger get the best of him, resulting in the fight. I hate both of you, he'd said. He'd been so stupid. Of course he hadn't really hated them. Sometimes I think it would be better if I didn't have to deal with either one of you anymore. Why would he say such horrible words? What was wrong with him? His father had tried putting a stop to it. He'd had the sense to say, You should be careful what you wish for. You should never say things like that when you're angry. His dad had the sense to try ending the fight before it got out of hand, despite what he'd said. He should have stopped there. He should have left well enough alone. Had he done that? Of course not. He'd seen it as an opportunity to go for the jugular. Funny how that analogy played out, seeing as his father died because his throat had been ripped out, jugular and all. He should have said he was sorry. Instead, he'd said, I mean every word of it. Now his mother and father were dead. To make matters worse, their bodies had disappeared. He hoped that wasn't true. He held on to the slim hope that the cop had been lying to him, trying to get him to admit to the crime. If that was the case, it was in bad taste. The door to his cell opened again. The same two officers that had intervened when he'd lost his temper with the lawyer were back. They had shackles and a nightstick. They meant business. He didn't put up a fight. He had no fight left in him. He allowed himself to be shackled. He had cuffs on his arms and legs with a chain running up the front from the legs to the arms. Once he was secured, he knew that there was no chance of him going anywhere. Where are you taking me? Jason asked, his voice almost a whisper. He already had a good idea what the answer was. You can't stay here forever, one of the cops said. You're going to your new home in Marinette until your trial. Thirty minutes later, he found himself chained to the seat of a bus. He was alone, with the exception of a driver and a guard, as the bus made a slow trip through Niagara. He looked out the barred windows, watching as the town passed by. He saw every house and every person. He saw the faces on the people. They watched him, judged him, as the bus passed by. He hated them for judging him. He hated them because it wasn't their parents that were dead. They hadn't lost anybody. Someday they would. Maybe the monster would get them as well. Then they'd know what he was going through. You can all go to hell, he said under his breath as the bus passed the city limits, leaving Niagara behind. Ooh, another episode complete. Yeah! So that was pretty fun. More awesome goodness of incarceration for you all. So now it's time to shamelessly self-promote myself, and I'm going to do so by mentioning it is the holidays. Christmas is coming. It is less than a month away. It is just over three weeks away. So what should you do? You should buy incarceration, and when you do so, click through Amazon. Go get the Kindle version. Hardly any of you are buying the Kindle version. Even the Nook is out selling the Kindle version right now for incarceration. That's amazing. So go to goingpostalpublishing.com, click on the Amazon banner, and then buy incarceration 
on Amazon for your, for your Kindle. And guess what? I'm going to get a few extra pennies just because you decided to click through that. And while you're there, pick up the other gifts that you're going to buy for other people. It's easy, it's convenient, and the best part, it doesn't cost you any extra money. You're helping out the podcast by just simply shopping on Amazon, by just clicking on the banner at goingpostalpublishing.com. You help me out, it doesn't cost you anything extra. What could be better than that? All right, all the usual stuff. Facebook, facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. Twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. Go to YouTube. I haven't posted any videos on there, but I swear I am working on a new one. You might even get to see my face in this one. I'm not even sure yet. So, And I'm even thinking about using that Google Plus thing. I still don't know what Google Plus is for. I've barely used it. I barely even looked at it. I have an account, but I've barely looked at it. So eventually I might get around to it. You never know. Anyway, it's been another great week. I will be back next week with yet another episode of Incarceration. So until then, stay classy, San Diego. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.